Well, it is the third week of our January series, which is a series on sing, is the whole idea of what we're talking about. Jared and I sat down and said, what would be a good topic to start the year off? And Jared said, why not sing? And at first, I didn't like the idea, I'll be honest with you. Many times, Jared and I arm wrestle over ideas on how to lead, and then I, I got to be honest with you, it's been a tremendous blessing just for me, even this week, as I've gone back and meditated on my own life, what music has meant to me. So today's message, it's going to be more devotional than instructive to some degree, but its objective is to get you thinking, why has God given you song? The first week we talked about how music is intended by God to be a fitting gesture of worship. We said worship includes three things. The knowledge of God, the treasuring of God, and then the declaring of God's goodness. And song does that. Song, specifically as Jared told us last week, we pick music that teaches us. And then we pick music that we treasure, that speaks to our heart. And then we declare it to encourage one another, but hopefully to proclaim the gospel. Last week, Jared said, music is also effective in teaching and admonishing one another. And uh, this week, we're going to talk about how music, I believe, is given to us as a gift for the soul to help move, shape, and dare I say, calm the soul. Back in, um, back in 1697, there was a poem, never heard of the guy, his name was William Congreve, and he wrote this, this line that said, music calms or soothes the savage breast, saying that inside of me, music is given to calm me. And then we've tweaked that a little bit, and now you know it as music calms or soothes the savage beast. In 1950s, Bugs Bunny had a great clip on this where a wild gorilla was going to kill him and he took a violin and Bugs Bunny soothed the savage beast. I learn a lot from Bugs Bunny. He means a lot to me. But today we're going to show you, I want you to go to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, and I want to take one little look at a verse Jared opened up last week, and I just want to park on it a little bit. Because I believe in a strange way it's saying the same thing. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And then it says, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Now that could be a collective instruction. All of you sing and make music in your heart together to the Lord. That could also be an individual instruction, that your heart has this deep well that we need to draw from, and singing helps draw it out. It helps express what's hidden down deep in there. It's uh, funny, my wife often accuses me of being a very unemotional person. And she says, you know, the only time you cry is when you preach. Why is that? I, it pulls something out of my soul. And I also think music does that for me and it does it for many of you. Music calms the savage beast. I want to bring up an illustration of what I'm trying to 
uh, communicate. I read in this book a while ago this perfect metaphor to what I'm trying to explain. This book is called Switch, How to Change Things When Change is Hard, saying we as human beings are hard to direct. When we're stubborn, it's hard to move us. When we're angry, it's hard to stop us. When we are passionate, we can get some stuff done. And this, these writers said the human soul, really the, the area in the body of the human being that makes decisions, has two components. And the metaphor is like a rider on an elephant. So you have here you have a rider and an elephant. And he says the first part of this decision-making process, I'm calling it the influences on the soul, is the rider. And the writer is our rational side. That's what the writer says. Also known as the reflective or the conscious system. As I was thinking about it, when we preach, we usually preach to the writer. Usually we'll stand up here, we'll exegete a passage very well with understanding of the grammar and the words and the history and really bringing out our arguments to persuade the writer. But then he says there's another part and that's the elephant. The elephant is the emotional side. It's the part of you that is instinctive. It feels pain and pleasure. And actually, in a way, this sermon today is going to try to communicate more to the elephant than the writer. In this illustration, there's three really interesting things that I want to address today. The first is the size relatively elephant to the writer. Listen to what the writer says. The writer holds the reins of the elephant and seems to be the leader, but the writer's control is precarious because the writer's so small relative to the elephant. Anytime the six-ton elephant and the writer disagree about which direction to go, the writer's going to lose. He is completely overmatched. So just sheer size and power and strength the writer has no chance when the elephant's on the loose. He goes on to write, most of us are all too familiar with situations in which our elephant overpowers our writer. See if you know what he's talking about. You've experienced this if you've ever slept in. Overeaten. I should not have that extra piece of chocolate cake, but I'm going to. The elephant. And if you eat too much cake, you'll start looking like an elephant. Keep reading. Dialed up your ex at midnight, procrastinated, tried to quit smoking and failed, skipped the gym, gotten angry and said something you regretted. Never done that before. Abandoned your Spanish or piano lessons, refused to speak up in a meeting because you were scared, and so on. When the elephant wants something the writer doesn't want, the elephant wins. Second thing about this illustration is that the elephant is actually weak. Looks imposing, but deep down inside, the elephant is weak. The writer says it's lazy. It's skittish. It's instinctive. It's responsive. You understand this. For instance, I could tell you a hundred times that God loves you, but some of you don't believe it. I could tell you that God has got everything completely under control, but yet every morning some of you wake up in abject fear because we're weak. It's kind of like the cartoon where the elephant sees a mouse. He doesn't know his size and he runs. It's funny because the elephant could step on a mouse, but it's sad 
because that's who we are. Something comes up in our, in our, you know, in our mind and we recoil, we go hide under the covers. Proverbs said the fool is the person who always says there's a lion on the road and is too scared to go outside. That's the elephant. But there's one more thing that's very interesting. The writer says, but what may surprise you is that the elephant has enormous strength compared to the rider's crippling weaknesses. The elephant isn't always the bad guy. Emotion is the elephant's turf. Love and compassion and sympathy and loyalty, that fierce instinct you have to protect your kids against harm, that's the elephant. So in other words, if you can get that elephant moving, he can do unbelievable things. My argument today is simple. I believe music is a tool given to us to stop the first two and to motivate the third aspect of the elephant. But let me talk about the elephant just a little bit more. When I refer to elephant, I'm referring to emotions. And we have, there, there's a ton of emotions, so I'll call it the colors of the elephant. It's a lot of different colors of the elephant. Actually, some writers said there's probably eight prime emotions. Aristotle said there are. And then Darwin said emotions were given to us to survive, you know, to be surprised or be fearful or to be happy or pleasure. And then pop psychology in the 60s and 70s changed it and then Berkeley came up with 27 and now more and more writers are saying there's over 34,000 emotions that we could feel. So you could say it like this, emotions are kind of like the colors on a palette or color table. You have primary emotions, prime colors, red, blue, and yellow, but you start mixing them and you get all kinds of different emotions. So what does Scripture say? I believe Scripture brings up emotions in 1 John chapter 2. If you look at 1 John chapter 2, 1 John talks about how the world influences us, but not our minds, our wants, our emotions. John writes in uh, 1 John 2, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Then verse 16 says, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So the world system, this broken system, his objective is to motivate me to actually disobey God. And it doesn't use mental, it uses my heart. It goes after my heart in three ways. It addresses my pride, it addresses my want or covetousness, and it addresses, addresses my passion, my lust. And out of that comes different emotions. So let's say blue represents pride. Pride is when I want significance. I want you to give me glory. I want you to notice me. And if you don't, I get angry. I get mad. I get furious. I deserve better than this. I deserve more pay. How dare you insult me? On the other side of anger, God does not want us to get angry. God wants us to find joy in the Lord. Not in our pride. In the Lord. And so this is a whole wide spectrum. A lot of colors of blue. There's this idea of covetousness. I covet. I want things. I want money. 
because money gets me what I want. It kind of protects me. And if I don't have money, I, have, I get anxious and I get fearful and I worry. And so with covetousness, you have two sides. One is fear. On the other side is trust. That's why in Matthew chapter 6, God says you serve either God or money. And then he goes on to say, you know, look at the lilies of the field. They don't spin or sew or work, but God clothes them. Don't you think he'll take care of you? So don't worry about tomorrow. And so the idea of covetousness is I covet because I'm scared. I need things. God says don't worry about it. I got you covered. And there's a whole spectrum of yellows from fear to trust. God wants you to trust. The world wants you to fear. And then red is passions and passions gets into all kind of different things. Some of the original eight is the idea of They'll say hatred, but others will say it's not really hatred as much as it's indifference or it's disgust. And on the other side, it's love. I crave this thing. There's a whole bunch of reds on there. But you mix those all together and there's all kind of emotions. I'm just going to argue today that music is given to us to help level us out and also inspire us in the right direction. To take us from hate to love from anger to joy, and really from fear to trust. Let me show you how. So let's go first with anger and joy, the issue of pride. I believe when you don't get what you want, people don't get what they want, or they're offended. We are so angry these days. Anger is everywhere. I was actually watching a video the other day, and it says, most of the internet, most of the internet is designed out of outrage. Outrage gets you to click on a button. And if you click on a button, the person who got you to click on the button gets money. And the way they're doing it is by outrage. They want you to be furious. So they have these algorithms that figure out what headlines will get you the most angry. They're manipulating you. And my argument is, if you learn how to sing and put a whole portfolio of songs, you won't be a sucker. Look at 1 Samuel uh, 16. It's a very, it's kind of an obscure passage, I'll be honest with you. It comes out of nowhere. 1 Samuel 16, it's the story of the first king, King Samuel. King Samuel was chosen by Israel to be the anointed first king. They chose him because he was taller than everybody, he was strong, good looking. And then he, he's, he's wicked though. And he gets mad because God doesn't give him what he wants. And so um, Samuel goes out and anoints this guy to take his place named David. And so what you have here in verse 14 of 1 Samuel 16 is Saul is, Saul is a disturbed, disturbed person. And I believe it's because of his pride. Now the Spirit of the Lord, this is verse 14, Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. So in his heart, he's tormented. Tormenting is frustration, anger, impatience, critical. He's just got darkness, dark emotions coming out of him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He's a brave man and a warrior. 
He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey, loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my servant service, for I am pleased with him. Then here's the verse. Whenever the Spirit from God came upon Saul, David would take his harp and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. So here's this evil spirit, dark emotions. David plays the harp, plays music, and that music calms Saul. I believe that happens to us all the time, if you let music speak to you. I remember when I, I'm going to share more of some of my experiences, because I, I got to be honest with you, I've, the older I get, I lose, I lose things that I used to use a lot as a kid, but now I'm an adult, I don't need that stuff, it's not that important, and music is one of those things. And actually, I thank Jared for helping me kind of rekindle this love for music again. I used to sing all the time. But uh, this one writer uh, says, the problem with adults is we've, we no longer believe in fairy tales. I would even say the problem with adults is we no longer enjoy those things we did as children. And I think a child really is drawn to music. But we're, we're adults. We don't need that. We just need reason. And what I'm telling you, the elephant, the elephant needs to be spoken to. Specifically when you're angry. We're far too angry. I would get angry. I'd, I have a righteous anger. I can remember seeing, you know, some of the poverty or when you go to Russia and you see homeless people on the street, drunk, laid out on the street, and you wonder why, why doesn't God see? I'm going to talk a little bit more about it later, but you hear about abortion mills in the United States where babies that are made in the image of God are being murdered. And you just, you wonder why. And it gets you mad. You can't do anything about it. And remember when I was a kid, I, I watched this show called Godspell. It's a weird show. I don't know, it spoke to me. Joe, do you remember that show? Did you ever watch that? I would think you would have seen that, Joe. Go back and watch it, Joe. You'll love it. It's got 70s-ish flavor to it, you know. Everybody's walking around New York City looking like hippies. It's a hippie show. TJ, I showed you that movie. It's a great show. Well, anyhow, they got good music. It's a musical. And in, that, in the musical, there is a song that always has spoken to me. And it goes like this. It goes, When will God save the people? Oh, God of mercy, when? The people, Lord, the people, when will you come again? And the idea is, God, when will you come? And I'll sing it outside, out in the woods. I'll say, when will you come again, God? Music just, it expresses what's down deep in you. Another song I can remember when I first started at Moody Bible Institute, I just got saved. I was, I felt alone. I didn't have a lot of money and I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And I remember at Moody Conference, they used one song as a theme song. And every time I went to this Moody Conference, they'd sing this song and it spoke to me. And you probably know it. But the objective is the song is to say, take your attention off of you and look to God. And it goes like this. Great is thy faithfulness, 
Oh God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not Thy compassions, they fail not. As Thou hast been, Thou forever wilt be. Then it goes, great is Thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. And I would sit in the seat all by myself and just listen to him. And then I'd sing it on the way home, walking home, through the snow in Chicago. And what that did to me, I can't even tell you. But I'm asking you, when you are angry, when you are frustrated, when you are tormented, do you have a song? Do you sing or do you bask in anger? To me, that's sin. Some of you, when you lose a job or you get ignored or you're not asked to be, um, you know, a person who is seen as significant, you get angry. And to me, that kind of anger is sin. You need to calm the savage beast. I think music can also help move the elephant past his fear. I think this is a big part of music. This weakness inside of us, this this. We're so tiny on the inside. You know, you wonder um, why when you get married do you need to tell your wife almost every day that you love her? Because she needs to know because the human emotion needs it. We need to know we can trust God. And song does that. I remember for me when I first was, well actually Psalm 40, 1 through 3 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pit, out of the mire and the clay. And then verse 3 says, and I will sing. I'll sing a new song. And it says, many will see and fear. And so when God saves me, when he rescues me, I should respond in song, in rejoicing. When I, uh, when I first was saved, okay, so before I knew Jesus, I really, I felt like I was, I was wicked. And I didn't believe God could ever forgive me. And I heard this song by Keith Green, and it's a simple little song. And I would go out in the woods, and I would probably go out in the woods for about an hour. I'd, every morning I'd wake up. My parents lived in this area there's a lot of woods. And I would sing, and the song is Psalm 51. And it goes, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, and cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. And that's Psalm 51. And I sometimes had to sing that four, five, six times to really believe that God forgave me. Some of you know this song. When you're, This is one of your favorite songs, actually, Jared tells me. My troubled soul, why so laid down? You were not made to bear this heavy load. Cast all your burden upon the Lord and trust again in the power of his word. And then it goes, and I will praise the mighty name 
of Jesus. Praise the Lord, the lifter of my head. I will praise the rock of my salvation. And that song is given to say, man, when my troubled soul is so weighed down, that's not rational. Fear is not rational. It's like a flood. You need to fight it. And I believe song is a gift to fight it. The third area, and I think this is the most beautiful part, is, is we need to tap into the strength of the elephant, specifically the emotion of love for God. Like where you really are in love with the God who made you. And in that, in that emotion is amazing strength. Look at Psalm 89 verse 1. Psalm 89 1. Is this true of you? And so what I'd say for fear, do you have a song to fight fear? You need to fight, you need to find songs that speak to you. This is more practical than anything, more devotional than anything. What songs speak to you? This says, Psalm 89.1, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. Stop on that a second. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. How often do you sing of the Lord's great love? I mean, it's easy to give instruction from the Bible, but oh, this is a psalm. We don't have to do a psalm. Psalms are kind of that weird stuff called poetry. I don't need to. No, this is an instruction, a mascal. It's an instruction. What songs speak to you about God's love? There's one song to me. I, it's, a, it's one of the most beautiful poems. It just goes like this. I mean, when you think about it, it should overwhelm you. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood. I should gain an interest, a part, part of, like I'm a partner. I have stock in the Savior's blood. Died he for me who caused his pain. For me through him did death pursue amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, would die for me? My favorite part of that hymn is long, long my imprisoned spirit lay. Fast bound in sin and nature's night. And in mine, thine eye diffused, or my eyes saw, a quickening ray, like I'm in jail. And I rose in a dungeon, flamed with light. My chains fell off. My soul was freed. I rose, I went forth, and I followed thee. And it's amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, should die for me? That song is amazing. Do you have songs like this? When, I, when my daughter was born, Ginger, she's about six months old, and there was a worship album by Third Day. Nobody would be there. My wife would be out shopping, and I would lift her up, and I'd turn on Third Day song, and that one song that goes, Your love, oh Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness stretches to the sky your righteousness is like a mighty mountain and it just oh i'm telling you it's the way that i could just say god you're so so good 
But we don't do that anymore. We're too intelligent. Too. We don't want somebody looking through the window going, what's wrong with that guy? What's wrong with him? He's singing in front of the church? What's wrong with that? That guy's weird. It's really weird. But you have inside of you a well of emotion you need to start tapping into. Because it will move you to do things that you normally don't. We're so dry as people. We think argument will change my heart. Not necessarily. Actually, I, I didn't think about this before, but do you remember that love song when you first met your husband or your wife? And how it still speaks to you. Music is power. Mine was Michelle, my bell homes, and homes. That's not true. That's not true. But that's a great song, isn't it? So therefore, here's my conclusion. Therefore, therefore, learn to speak to both the writer and the elephant. How? Music is a tool God gave to us to help us do just that. So let's talk about what this Sunday is about. This Sunday is about Sanctity of Life. Sanctity of Life Sunday believes that every single person is made in the image of God. Even the baby in the womb is an image bearer. That means that they carry the imprint of the living God on their soul. So they're priceless. Genesis 9, 5 and 6 says a person is so priceless that they should be protected with life, a life for a life. You take a life, you should lose your life. It's serious. I was thinking through that. I was asked to write a story in life, and I was thinking, I know a story about the sanctity of life. I have a sister who's 60 years old. She's three months old. I mean, as a mind of a three-month-old baby, and she can't do anything. My sister hasn't done anything her whole life. For 60 years. And some people would say, you know what, she's, uh, she's just taking up space. Peter Singer, the philosopher, would say that. Actually, the whole Nazi regime would have people like that exterminated. And more and more, we live in a day and age that sees no value in a person if they can't do anything. But my sister's not only made in the image of God, Jesus died for her. He shed his blood for her. Her life is precious. That's why we need to be the ones that say something about this stain of abortion. It's horrendous. We need to stop all of this, well, that's the one, you know, is that your, you're a single-issue voter. No, it has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with it's murder. It's murder. And so sanctity of life is to set aside a time where the church says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. But there's a problem. How do you, what do, what do we do when people don't listen to us anymore? What do we do when some of the people in our own church have had abortions? How do we speak to that? How do we speak to when we're just angry about it. To me, that's the purpose of song. 
Song wraps all of that up and helps us express. It helps redirect our mind to the, not just the preciousness of life, but to the goodness of God through the face of such tragedy. We have some music that's called Lamentation. Lamentation is deep sorrow expressed because sin has hurt us, it's ruined us. Sin is why the evil heart wants to abort the baby. And we have no other way to express it but through song. And so even you have like the book of Lamentations with Jeremiah singing these songs that cut to the heart. But we have our own Lamentations and we also need to have a place to express it. Specifically comes the sanctity of life and even this whole idea of wrong death. I've asked Callie to come on up and sing a song for us. I've asked Callie to sing it because I believe this expresses. This expresses not the writer but the elephant how he feels about it. How we need to feel about it. It gives us not just an outlet but a way to lament while glorifying God at the same time.